Our opening praise tonight is the hymn 204. Let us sing of his love once again, of the love that can never decay, of the blood of the Lamb who was slain, till we praise him again in that day. I believe Jesus saves. Let's bow together and seek the Lord in prayer tonight. Let's call upon His name. Our Heavenly Father, it is with confidence that we come to our God tonight in prayer because we come not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in the merit of our Savior's blood and all that the Lord Jesus came to do as our mediator. 
We thank you, Lord, that we can assemble in this meeting house tonight, the living to praise thee, to rejoice in our God, to praise him for the cross afresh, the place where Christ died for our sins. These words that we've sung tonight, we believe with all of our hearts. I believe that Jesus saves and his blood makes me white in the snow, and I'm sure that we shall win, for we fight in the strength of our King. We thank you that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer, the Savior of our souls, but he's also our King, and we do cry in him, King of our lives. We pray that he will have absolute sway over our lives every day, that we will submit ourselves as members of his kingdom to the ways of our Savior that we might obey the laws that he has given and know the joy in serving our king here upon the earth. We bless you that the king is coming. I've been thinking about that already today in, in the little video chat that we had. We bless thee that Jesus Christ is coming again to this world. Your word reminds us that he gave a promise to his disciples the night before the cross, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We think of how the Savior in that great sermon that he preached, he talked about that moment when the Son of Man would come and he would ascend in power and great glory for he's coming as the King. The Apostle reminds us that he came the first time to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and that leads us to Calvary. It leads us to the cross, the place of the blood shedding the place indeed where our sins were dealt with. But he's not coming to deal with sin in the future. He's coming again the second time without sin unto salvation. He's coming to bring his church together, his people, from the beginning of days to the end of time, all that have found a refuge and redemption in him. He's coming for his people whom he has bought with his own precious blood. And we're going to be gathered unto the Savior. And we're going to see him. We're going to see him as he is, John tells us. And we're going to behold him in all his glory. And we're going to worship him that day. And we're going to bow the knee and confess afresh that he's Lord. We look forward to that day with anticipation. We pray that we'll live in the light of it. We think again of that verse that says, Unto them that look for him shall he appear. And we know that that looking is a waiting. It is an expecting. And we want to every day live that way, get up out of our beds in the morning and even think to ourselves, is this the day? And to live accordingly. We pray that we will die to self, die to sin, die to the world, die to the things of the flesh. Recognize that we're not in this world forever, just a little time that you've given to us. And then eternity, we'll meet the Lord we pray that we'll labor in that light, that light of the day when we stand before him and give an account. Bless this service tonight, every part of it, the choir as they sing, the preaching of your word, congregation as well as we sing the songs of Zion. We pray that you will bring sinners to Christ, that you'll open up understandings tonight, open up hearts, draw men with love to Calvary, bring conviction of sin. May we know the working of the Spirit. O oh, Holy Ghost, come down from heaven and brood over this gathering and work in every heart. Remember those joining us on the internet tonight, bless them likewise, just where they are. You know their needs. You know them personally. You know them individually. You know the families that they come from. You know the word that they need to hear. O oh, God, speak to us tonight, for your servants heareth. And again, we commit the royal family to thee, we know that these days are days of national mourning, and we have been mourning the departure of our Queen from this life. And we pray for those that are feeling it most keenly, uh, namely the royal family themselves and those that were close to Her Majesty. We pray that you will comfort them in their loss and sustain them and speak to the nation and send the breath of God at this time for Christ's sake. Amen. We are delighted to have our choir uh, singing tonight. Uh, as we said, this was planned for the mission and we just kept it there. So we're going to invite the choir to come and uh, Sylvia to 
Keep them right. Keep them in their paces. Lord bless you. Thank you.
lovely to hear the choir sing again and to hear them sing tonight those beautiful pieces. The video this morning uh, quoted part of that hymn, There's Room at the Cross for You. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, praise God, there's still room for you. Millions have come, but there's still room for one. And if you know not the Lord, will you come to him tonight? That's our desire. That's our prayer of heart. Thank you to the choir for singing, ministering in song tonight. We welcome you to the meeting this evening. If you're part of the church online, uh, listening in on the internet, we welcome you to uh, this meeting as well. We do have a Ukrainian lady visiting and her son. <coughs> we want to, to bid them welcome. Are they in the meeting? I just see you now. You're very, very welcome. And she's come from Kalibagi direction. I think so. And we trust that she, she's blessed. She did come for the meeting here tonight, but uh, they're away elsewhere. A few of them were to be away singing, I was told, and the rest were meeting here, but it seems they've all gone. Uh, so I'm sure she's a little bit disappointed, but I trust that you'll be blessed here in her own church tonight. Wednesday night is the committee meeting at 8 o'clock, and Thursday night's the midweek service at 8 p.m. Friday night, the youth fellowship is recommencing at 8 o'clock, and this is for all young people, secondary school age and upwards. Let me encourage you to go to the youth fellowship. Next Lord's Day begins with the prayer meeting, <coughs> 8 a.m., Sunday school, 10.30, Bible class, quarter to 11, worship service, 12 noon. And then at night, we're having a special valedictory service for our students returning to Bible college. Jonathan has finished his course. These are they, we used to say at college, maybe, maybe they did in the Reverend Stewart's time, these are they which came out of great tribulation. Uh, that's how some students visit looked upon their time in college, great tribulation, but they've come out of it, they've finished the course, they've done well, and Jonathan's among them, and we want you to pray for him. The other two students, Greg and David, are returning, and we want to, to mark that next Sunday night. The Montgomery singers will be here, they were to be here at the mission also, and they will sing in the will of God. We're going to sing together a hymn, 682. Hark the voice of Jesus crying, who will go and work today? Fields are white and harvest waiting, who will bear the sheaves away? Loud and long the master calleth, rich reward he offers thee. Who will answer gladly saying, here am I, send me, send me. May there be an answer tonight in someone's heart. Here am I, Lord, send me. Stand the sing. Thank you. 
seated. This hymn comes from verses of Scripture in Isaiah 6, and we're going to read from this chapter just now, Isaiah chapter 6, and the opening nine verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who shall go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. And we'll just end the reading there. Uh, some of the message that he was to tell, the people of his day follow, but we'll end it there with that thought in mind, Go. And we pray that someone will hear that word in their heart and that they will go and tell this people. Might be a local people, might be people in your family, might be people in your work, in your school. But the Lord wants you to go and tell them. Let's have a word of prayer just as we come to the scriptures tonight. Father, we thank thee for the open book, your word that you've given by divine inspiration. We know that every word is true and every word is profitable, and we want to profit tonight. We want the Lord to speak to us. Give us that ability just to sit and listen, to drink in your word, to know that God is speaking through his word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will apply divine truth to every mind and heart now, and that there will be some that might even hear the call of God to serve him, and in obedience that they will go. And if there's those among us tonight not saved, bring them to Christ. Save them for your honor and glory. And help now the preacher in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. And amen. We said we want to, to speak tonight on a fitting message when a good sovereign dies. And we're reading here in the opening verse, in the year that King Uzziah died. I think this is very fitting. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II at the age of 96 after a very long reign of 70 years on our throne died on Thursday the 8th of September. Elizabeth was Queen of the United Kingdom and other Commonwealth realms from the 6th of February 1952. Her reign of 70 years and 214 days is the longest of any British monarch and the longest recorded of any female head of state in history. Elizabeth was known for her sense of duty. She was a faithful, diligent, and honorable sovereign who loved her people and served them with distinction. As monarch, she was head of the Church of England and assumed the role of defender of the faith. Pray for me that God may give me wisdom and strength to carry out the solemn promises I shall be making and that I may faithfully serve him and you 
all the days of my life. That was the prayer request made by Queen Elizabeth II on her first Christmas broadcast in 1952. In 2008, the Queen said, I hope that, like me, you will be comforted by the example of Jesus of Nazareth, who, often in circumstances of great adversity, managed to live an outgoing, unselfish, and sacrificial life. He makes it clear that genuine human happiness and satisfaction lie more in giving than receiving, more in serving than in being served. The Bible story the Queen referred to the most and often emphasized in her, her talks, and she did this four times at different Christmas talks, was the parable of the Good Samaritan. In 1985, she said the story reminds us of our duty to our neighbor. We should try to follow Christ's clear instruction at the end of that story, go and do thy likewise. And we mentioned that, of course, in our message this morning. In 2004, she returned again to the same parable, and most recently in her broadcast in 2020 on Christmas Eve from Windsor Castle, where she had been isolating with Prince Philip due to the COVID-19 pandemic, she said, we continue to be inspired by the kindness of strangers and draw comfort that even on the darkest nights, there is hope in the new dawn. Jesus touched on this with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man who is robbed and left at the roadside is saved by someone who did not share his religion or culture. This wonderful story of kindness is still as relevant today. Good Samaritans have emerged across society showing care and respect for all, regardless of gender, race, or background, reminding us that each one of us is special and equal in the eyes of God. Now, I'm mentioning these things tonight by way of example, just to show you that this is the kind of queen that sat on our throne. We listen to her statements we watch her life and her devotion to the nation. We sense the love that she had for her people. And we must conclude tonight, she was a good queen. And it's always sad when a good king or a good queen dies. This happened during the ministry of the evangelical prophet Isaiah. King Uzziah also known as Azariah, was a good and a godly king. He was only 16 when he was thrust into that high and, and lofty position as sovereign of the nation. Here is the testimony that the Holy Spirit of God bears to him. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Second Kings chapter 15 and verse 3. This was the background of Isaiah's call to the ministry when God appeared to his servant in a most remarkable and unmistakable way to commission him as his prophet to the nation. Despite the sorrow faced by the country with the passing of such a good king, God was still at work, fulfilling his will, raising up his men as his representatives, preachers of righteousness, bringing the message of God to his people. Our queen has died, a good queen. But you know the work of God goes on in this nation. And I pray that even in this year, when Queen Elizabeth has died, that God will be pleased to, to raise up his eyes, preachers, prophets, ministers of the gospel, missionaries of the cross. And I believe the Lord has something very relevant to say to us tonight as we think of a fitting message when a good sovereign dies. I want you to notice, first of all, that there is here a sad lamentation. 
And it is in the fact that the king here in chapter 6 and verse 1 is referred to as far as being dead. There was cause in the nation for mourning with the departure of such a good king. We understand this. I think the nation has felt something of this and the many tens of thousands of people that have lined the streets and have gone to London are still visiting and will go there tomorrow is a proof of that. Isaiah especially had every reason to mourn. A godly king is taken after such a long reign. Fifty-two years this man sat upon the throne. And that was a long reign when you compare it to so many of the others in in the kingdom of Judah. We have noticed how the historical account in 2 Kings chapter 15 proclaims this particular man as a good man because he did that which was right in God's sight. The parallel history elaborates a little bit upon this testimony. If you turn just for a moment, please, to Second Chronicles in the chapter 26 and the opening verses. I'll not read them all, but I commend to you the first seven verses of the chapter where it speaks about this young man of 16 coming to the throne and how in verse 2 he built Eloth. He restored it to Judah. In verse 3, as he begins to reign, we're told that the length of his reign, 52 years in Jerusalem, he did that which was right there. The testimony is born again, verse 4, in God's sight. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, verse 5, who had understanding in the visions of God. And in verse 6, he warred against the Philistines. He broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabne and the wall of Ashdod, and he built cities about Ashdod and among the Philistines. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. We see his piety, don't we? He was a pious king. He did that which was right. We see his prayerfulness. We're told here that he sought the Lord. Uzziah was a man of prayer. We see also his prosperity. In verse 5, we are told how God made him to prosper just there at the end of the text. And you'll note the principle that is mentioned here. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And that's true for us today, by the way, as we seek the Lord, as we walk with God, as we do that which is right in His sight, God will bring us to prosper in our souls and in many other ways too. God blessed the reign of this man, gave him victory over his enemies. And as you go on to read in this chapter, he was blessed in building projects, in agricultural ventures. God surrounded him with mighty men of valor, we read in verse 12. 2,600 mighty men. And he gave him a successful army. There were 307,000 soldiers in his army. And he became a great inventor. The opening part of verse 15 tells us that. And there is this little concluding summary of the great king at the end of verse 15. His name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. I hate to mention this, but I think I should, and I'm just doing it in passing. He didn't finish well. Because we do read in verse 16, but, and when you read such illustrious words, in this chapter, right up to verse 15, of all the blessing and all the accomplishments of this man, then you read in verse 16 this, but but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense, which he was not permitted to do, upon the altar of incense. Read on and you'll discover that God smote him with leprosy and he was a leper 
until the day of his death. He had a sad and a tragic end. But having said that, I want to emphasize that generally speaking, over the course of these 52 years of his reign, he was the kind of a king that you'd want to be upon the throne. You'll know that there were, there were other kings in Judah and all the kings of Israel that were evil men, wicked men. And the testimony of God concerning them, as you know, was they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Men like Ahab and other wicked men that came to sit upon thrones of Israel and in Judah. The Scripture tells us that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bear rule, the people mourn. And when you have good people in charge of the country, in charge of the nation, that's a good thing. We rejoice in that. But when wicked and evil men are bearing rule over the nation, it's a cause for great lamentation. We know this only too well. We think of what's happening, and our brethren and sisters were with us this morning from Ukraine. We think of what's happening in their land. Why? Because of wicked men, and particularly wicked Putin and what he's done. And as the Ukrainian army has pushed the Russian army back that little bit and gained ground again, we are discovering more of the atrocities that have been committed. And we've all seen it on the media and the torture that, that they think was done to so many in those mass graves where the bodies were buried. When Uzziah died, it was cause of great sorrow because he was a good man. And with the passing of our queen, it is the cause of sorrow in this nation because she was a good woman. Any leader who maintains civil and religious freedom, who speaks well of the Savior, who endeavors to present the message of this book, who sets a good example to her subjects or his subjects, is to be commended. I think we have enjoyed that for 70 years in this nation. And so with the passing of Her Majesty, it's a great loss and we feel the sadness of the occasion and we mourn. But secondly, and this is so important, there's a sovereign revelation. Look at verse 1 again of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up in his tree and filled the temple. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. This is marvelous, really. And he saw him upon a throne, and he saw him high. And lifted up. What a, what a majestic sight that must have been. And he saw something of his holiness, or he heard something of his holiness. Verse 3 As the seraphim cry the one to the other, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. When the godly king died, when sorrow undoubtedly filled the prophet's heart, he saw the Lord. And he saw the Lord sovereign in his power, in his glory. What a sight it must have been. What an encouragement it must have been. It is so important when we face sorrow and trial to see what Isaiah saw, to see the Lord, to see him on the throne, sovereign, supreme, reigning and ruling, governing and controlling everything in the midst of every situation. And the application here is far-reaching, I know. It can be applied to every circumstance that you find yourself in. Sorrow, sickness, suffering, trouble, and tribulation. God is still on the throne. And we must remember that. No matter what we enter into as a nation, no matter what we face as a people, no matter what comes to our families, or even to you and I personally, Almighty God is still on the throne. And we need to see that and understand it and believe it. 
The situation of the prophet was, was the death of the king, a good man who had reigned well in the nation. Isaiah had every reason to be discouraged at the death of Uzziah because a good king has passed away. And adding to that sorrow was the fact that he did end tragically. The prophet might have been tempted to, to think, where's the Lord in all this? Why did the Lord allow this to happen? Doesn't that sound familiar? You know, when things go wrong, when sorrow comes, when circumstances enter into our lives that we can't fully understand, we can't explain, why would God do this at this time? Why would he permit this? Why would he allow it to happen? I'm sure these are some of the thoughts that the prophet must have had. So the Lord comes to comfort and strengthen his child. And how does he do that? He reveals himself. Isaiah sees the Lord on the throne, high and lifted up, a God in complete control and authority. God was still sitting, ruling, governing, superintending all that happened on the earth and not least in the kingdom of Judah at this time. Oh, dear child of God, learn this truth afresh. Keep it before you every single day of your life. There is a throne in heaven. And there is an almighty God who sits upon that throne as sovereign ruler in all things. This truth is one of the, the central pillars of our faith in times of discouragement and disillusionment. Our God is on the throne. Our God is in control. The core belief of atheism and materialism is that there is no throne. There is no seat of authority or power in the universe. There is no sovereign being that we must answer to. The core belief of humanism is that there is a throne, but man sits upon the throne. He is the God of his own life. He is the ruler. He's the supreme governor of everything that happens in his life. However, for the child of God, the core belief for us is that there is a throne and Almighty God is sitting on it and he's enthroned there forever and ever and ever. Isaiah may have been greatly down in spirits because a great and a godly leader of Judah was no longer on the throne, but God appears to his servant to remind him that there is a higher power. Don't worry. I'm sure this is what he's saying to Isaiah. Don't worry about it, Isaiah. That Uzziah is no longer on the throne. I am still on my throne of glory. Isaiah saw the Lord on the throne, high and lifted up. And here is a position above all others, higher than any power, exalted above any human sovereign in the world. Will you please remember that? Will you please remember that in these days of mourning in the nation? And then notice, in come the seraphim, these burning creatures of majestic splendor, and they have a message to proclaim. And that message really is about the holiness of God. And we read it in verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These burning angels of celestial purity are declaring to each other the, the glorious nature and the character of God. This God is a holy God. Three times over, the seraphim cry the word holy in their anthem of worship and adoration. Someone was asked, why do they repeat holy three times? Wasn't it enough to simply say that the Lord was holy once? It wasn't enough. In the Hebrew language, intensity is communicated by repetition. To say that the Lord is holy says something. To say that the Lord is holy, holy says more. To say holy, holy, holy is the Lord 
is to declare his holiness in the highest possible degree. God is holy in the highest sense. Never forget the character of the God that we serve and worship. And remember, his holiness demands holiness in you and I who are his people. Be ye holy, for I am holy. A sovereign revelation. Notice quickly that there is a special operation. And the summary of that is verse 5 through to verse 8, really, where the prophet cries out, Woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we read of the seraphims coming with the live coal from off the altar and, and touching the lips of the prophet to cleanse him. And then the question in verse 8, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Having seen the Lord, particularly in his holiness, Isaiah is brought to see himself in his undone condition before God. A proper view and understanding of the holiness of God can only lead you and me to one conclusion. We are unholy. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he knew the kind of a man that he was. A sight of God initially did not make the prophet feel good. I'm sure by and by he was comforted by the knowledge that the eternal, infinite God was sitting upon the throne supremely. However, the first reaction of Isaiah seeing God was one of dread and utter, an utter sense of helplessness and undoneness. The more clearly he saw the Lord, the more clearly he saw his own sinful estate. Isaiah's deep sense of depravity is in keeping with the experience of other godly men in the presence of God. And uh, I haven't time to go into these, but you want to think about what Job said. When Job saw the Lord at the end of the story in Job 42 and verses 5 and 6, you want to think about what Daniel said when Daniel saw the Lord, when he was brought into the presence of God in Daniel chapter 10, verse 15 to 17. You want to think about what the apostle Peter said in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8 when he was brought right into the very presence of Christ. And John, the beloved disciple in Revelation 1 and 17, when he saw the majestic Lord sitting upon the throne, he fell at his feet as dead. When you see God, when you get a proper view of him, it will not fill you with pride, thinking that you are something. It will lay you low. It will bring you down to a place where you will sense and feel your undone condition before God. Spurgeon said, I am undone is not a bad place to be. God will never do anything with us until he has first of all undone us. I think we've got to get to this place before God can use us, before we can be effective servants in God's hands. It's interesting to know where Isaiah felt his sin the most. He felt it in his lips, the things that he said. I'm a man of unclean lips, he says in verse 5. Didn't James say, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, unable to bridle the whole body in James chapter 3 and verse 2. And then he writes an essay. He writes an essay on the, on the tongue and how the tongue can be guilty of such vileness and wickedness. By nature, our lips are full of flattery and boastfulness and falsehood and deceit and pride and evil speaking and unkindness and so forth. The lips of the prophet were not the only place of sin, but we can, we can be sure, but he felt it most keenly there and also with his people. When we see the Lord, we see ourselves. When we see ourselves, then we can see others. But first there must be cleansing. And in this 
graphic picture that is given in verses 6 and 7. One of the seraphims fly and they take the coal from off the altar. The altar where the sacrifices were made, where the blood was shed. This cleansing of the prophet came from the place of sacrifice, the place where the blood was shed, reminding us of our cleansing from sin. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that can cleanse us from all sin. And then once he's cleansed, he's in a proper place to serve the Lord. And so the question is posed in the eighth verse, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And the prophet says, here am I, send me. You also. Get to the place where you see God. You begin to sense your own sin. Desperately in need of cleansing from your sin. And when you get to that place, you are a proper instrument in the hand of God to go and serve the Lord and have that outward view. May God give it to us in these days, even coming up to our mission, to have that view of sinners out there. And may we say, here am I, send me. And we conclude with one little final thought. There's a simple commission, and it's in the word go. Go. In verse 9, this little word of instruction and command summarizes the great commission which the Lord has given to his people. Go, go, go. Go and preach the gospel. When you get to the place where Isaiah is brought to, when you reach that place of surrender, here am I, send me, then the Lord will take you and me up and he will use us and he will say to us personally and individually, go, go here, go there, go yonder. Go and prepare for future service if that's the thing that you need to do. Maybe some tonight will be called to Bible college and become a missionary or a minister or a, a full-time worker. But I want to tell you this, dear people of God, God always has a go for his people and he has a go for you. I wonder where he's sending you tonight. I wonder who he's sending you unto that you might proclaim the message of the gospel. So as we conclude, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. If you can just see that tonight, it'll make a massive difference in your life. And I pray that we'll have such a revelation from God and that we'll see the Lord tonight and we'll see him in all his glory and all his sovereignty and all his power and be fit instruments to go and serve him. My friends, if you know not Christ, you need to trust him. May you see the Lord savingly tonight and redeemingly that will bring your soul out of darkness into light. May God bless his word to your heart and to mine. I'm going to ask you very simply to stand to your feet. We're going to have a minute's silence and as you're standing, one of our elders, our brother Mervyn, is going to come and after the minute's silence, he'll lead us to the throne of grace in prayer. And then we will sing for the very first time the national anthem, God save our gracious King. Let us just in silent contemplation of what has happened in the nation, remember the royal family at this time particularly and the good queen that we had sitting upon the throne.
We continue on in thy presence in the worthy and precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son and our Saviour. We thank thee for the throne of grace. And we rejoice that we have one in the glory, the mediator, the God-man Christ Jesus. Amen. And our loving Father, as we draw nigh in these moments in the attitude of prayer, the desire of our hearts would be that we would see the Lord high Amen. and lifted up. Amen. We pray that our gaze will be taken off every other thing. Amen. And that this night thou wilt enable us by thy grace to see the one who is the God who inhabiteth eternity. Amen. And surely when we see the greatness of the one who is our God, Amen. we will have that confession like Isaiah, that we are undone, Amen. we are unclean, Amen. but we rejoice that there is a cleansing, and that cleansing is in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, our loving Father, as we come to thee this night we come as a nation and we pray that thou wilt at this time be pleased to draw very near we do thank thee for the life and for the witness of our sovereign we thank thee for the years that thou didst give to her and to our loving father as tomorrow the service would take place we pray that thou will turn the gaze of this nation again to the one who is the Redeemer, the one who is the Saviour, the one who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen. We pray, Father in heaven, that there will be those who will call upon thee in mercy. And as we mourn as a nation, we pray that there will be a mourning over sin. Amen. We pray for the royal household. Amen. We pray for our King. Amen. We pray for our Queen Consort. Amen. We pray for all the members of the royal family. And we pray, Father in heaven, that they will come to know thee, Amen. whom to know is life eternal. And in these days, we pray that thou will teach us all to number our days and apply our hearts unto wisdom. Yes. For someday it will be noised that we have left this scene of time. Mm. And we pray, our loving Father, that thou will enable each one in this gathering to be absolutely sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's well with their soul, and that of them it can be said when they leave this scene of time, that is absent from the body and present Amen. with the Lord. We thank thee for thy word, we thank thee for thy presence, yes. and we pray that thou will bless the preaching of thy word to all who've heard, and we pray, our loving Father, that thou will be pleased, even as we separate one from the other this night, to know the abiding presence of Christ to be in our hearts. We pray these things in the Saviour's name. Amen. 